Thank you for tuning in to the Expository Word Podcast, where we are listening to classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Today, Kimber continues teaching through the book of Samuel, and our hope is that you will be challenged and encouraged by listening in. Let's turn now to Kimber. Very quickly, I want you to remember, David has become king over all of Israel. He immediately makes Jerusalem the capital. He defeats the Philistines. He immediately brings the Ark of the Covenant through great celebration into Jerusalem. He wants the Ark at the capital, and this was a great unifying thing to a divided nation. Of course, Uzzah is killed because he irreverently touches the Ark that was being carried by oxen the way the Philistines carried the Ark. God had already said in his word it was to be carried by Levites, particularly of the family of the Kohathites. And so what we, I think it's very interesting to consider if you just take the revelation of what we've learned about God in the last few chapters. In chapter 6, we learned about the wrath of a holy God. In chapter 7, verses 1 through 17, we learned about the humility of our holy God. That he, though he is uh, high and mighty, he humbles himself to deal with the people that he loves. And he says, you want to build me a house? Thank you, but I want to take care of my people. And I'm more concerned about the enemies in the land than my house. And then, of course, as we learn today in 7, 18 through 29, we learn about the grace of God. I think it's so interesting if you just put that little trio of chapters together. It's just these two chapters. The wrath of God, the humility of God, and the grace of God. Now, as we considered verses 18 through 29 this morning, they come on the heels of 1 through 17, obviously, where God has promised David that not only is he going to make his kingship sure and steady, but he is going to richly bless him, and his son will build the temple, and he'll have children that will reign over Israel forever. And not only that, but that that one day the Messiah was going to come through his line. Now, I think it's so important to remember that it promised that the Messiah would come through a woman, through Israel, through Judah, and now through the family of David. And of course, we remember Matthew's gospel. This is the record, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David. Now, friends, we then considered quickly by way of application, and if you weren't here this morning, we already explained the text. And as we, as we talked about this text, we then say, well, then what does this apply to our life? And of course, as we do every service in this book of Samuel and Judges, and anytime we would do an Old Testament passage, we know that everything that was written in the past was written to help us and to teach us. And we know that we can get rebuked and taught and corrected. Well, I will tell you, my heart soared. It was one of the most joyous days I have had preaching, to preach on the grace of God towards his people. And as Matthew Henry told us, one of the ways that we're supposed to take this passage, the main way, if you want to exegetically take the passage by the throat and squeeze the life out of it, you have to understand that is to consider the greatness of God's grace. To consider the, the wonder of God and the way he deals with his people. And so we considered several things, which I will take you through just by a very, very fast-paced way of review. The number one thing then that we would take from this is this characteristic of David's response, where he says, who am I, O Lord? What is my family? You are so great. You are so marvelous. You are so wonderful. What we're really seeing is anybody who comes to understand the grace of God as revealed in the revelation of God is overwhelmed with how good God is and how kind he is towards sinners. 
And David goes, who am I? And so you see that this is a model for our response when overwhelmed with the sense. And I, and I think that it's so, it's so precious to me to tell you that if you're a Christian, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, basically you've come to the same conclusion David did, and that is this is your grand theme of redemption and the covenants laid out in the Scriptures, and God, I'm right there in the middle of it. There I am. My sins have been forgiven. And we may not say, who am I and what is my family? But we can say this, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also richly, graciously give us all things um, with him? And so it's something to be excited about. And of course, we learn then things like this. David makes time for personal, heartfelt gratitude. You didn't have to say, David, come on now, go into the tent and worship God. He hears the message of God's grace. Boom! He wants to be there. You know, David doesn't go dragging and kicking. He wants to be there to express thanks to God. And then, of course, we consider that David is truly humbled by God's incredible kindness. And all through the scriptures, there's one thing you can say. From Genesis to Revelation, the revelation from God to man about salvation crushes, literally crushes the self-righteous attitude that somehow we're good in and of ourselves, or somehow we're better than our fellow man, or somehow we're better than somebody with a skin color different than us, or somehow we're better than somebody who votes differently than we do, or somehow we're better than somebody that thinks differently than we do. No, we've come to realize the greatness of our sin and the greatness of God's grace. And so it should change us and humble us before God. And we looked and considered many things in the scriptures uh, that that, that reveal this. Then, to to move through this even quicker... uh, and I'm, I'm having a bad day with overheads, a very bad day with overheads. But to move this through even quicker, let me show you. We also considered this. Included as a major part of David's response is that he understands that God, what God has said. And in true response to the grace of God, it is really going to be in proportion to what you understand. If you understand that you're not that great a sinner, your response to God's grace won't be that great. If you don't understand the greatness of God's love and grace, then your response won't be that great. And so understanding the revelation of God is crucial in responding appropriately to worship uh, this great God of our salvation. And then, and again, we, we spent a lot more time on all of these points this morning. But David has clear and exalted thoughts concerning God. I love being around people that know the scriptures and love the Lord because their view of God is great. It's big. It's huge. It's marvelous. And they love God. And David says, you are great. You are unique. And David has high and exalted views of God. Now that's where we left off this morning. There's just a few more points I want us to see. And I want you to next notice verses 23 and 24. This is very, very important. And I sort of alluded to it in our conclusion, but I want you to see how important it is. And in verses 23 and 24 of this chapter, David makes this comment. Who is like your people Israel? The one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself, and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. I think it is so interesting to note that David rehearses the salvation experience of Israel not just during his reign, but he goes all the way back to the deliverance out of Egypt. And of course, we would understand very clearly that God delivering Egypt, or Israel out of Egypt is very clear a picture of the redemption of us from our own slavery, right? We would understand that. And so one thing that David does is he rehearses this. Now, I said it again this morning. I want to say it again because I can't tell you how crucial I think this is. Christians today get up in the morning and they think this. Does God love me? How do I feel physically? 
Does God love me? Is my wife treating me kindly? Does God love me? Do my kids, are they respectable? Does God love me? Is my car running right? Does God love me? Is my boss appreciate me at work? And we look and we sort of look at our circumstances to determine whether or not God loves us. My friends, that's wrong. That is not the way we're supposed to understand and respond to God's grace. It is to reflect back on the grand redemption themes. To think through, can you, as a Christian, how long have you been a Christian? Can you think through the book of Romans? Can you think through the book of Galatians? Do you understand, as, as, as Jesus lays out the gospel in John for us, as John lays out the gospel of Jesus in, in John's gospel, and that is to remember and to rehearse where we were before we met Christ, how good and faithful he has been to us since we've known Christ, how faithful he has been to us over the years. Can you recall, I, I will bet you there's an encouragement for Ron Taroni to go back to 1966 and to recall the beating heart at the, at the, when anyone was at the gospel. And so it is for us to go back and to recall, not just once, not just sometimes, continually and regularly, never getting over it. If you want to know Satan's attack on your life, here's one of the ways he's going to attack you. Not that you're going to start, head's going to start spinning, you're going to start vomiting against the wall. But this, he's going to make you diminish what Jesus Christ has done for you. He's going to make you have small thoughts of the Savior. He's going to make you have low view of what the cross means. He's going to have you look at life as, does God love you? Look how bummer my life is. The Apostle Paul said this, if he didn't spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not richly with him give us all things? In other words, if he gave us his son, what in the world can we say? How can we interpret life that somehow God doesn't love us? He's already given us his best. He's given us his son. And so, friends, this is so important that we would rehearse through. That is what communion is at church. Every time I do this illustration, I keep looking for this invisible table up here. It's never here. But there's a, you, no, no, Orthodox churches have a table up here that says, this do in remembrance of me. Okay? And we don't have that. This is what this baptismal is for. The baptismal is, is for this. Look at You're all being reminded tonight. And we prayed in there, and I prayed that this would be a great testimony. This is a picture of the grand redemption. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. We can't get past that. We can't let it grow old. We can't ever get past it. And we need to think back through that. My friends, if you would study the Old Testament, you would see God set up monuments, set up sacrifices. He kept having Israel rehearse the law. Why? So they could remember. If you read the 78th Psalm, which is a big deal tied in with this time of Israel's life, you will see things like this. They kept forgetting. They did not remember, and therefore they sinned. And we've mentioned before, friends, that listen, we need to keep rehearsing because do you know what unbelief is? Excuse me, do you know what not remembering is? Not remembering is reprehensible unbelief. We cannot just not remember. We have got to remember what Christ has done for us. And that is why Steve works hard at this, Don, everybody rich, everybody here works hard because we want our communion services. Not just to be ho-hum, you run through them and you just do it, stand up, sit down, drink, blah, 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 good, good pass. We want there to be time of reflection. We want it. That's why we bring in different people to bring us a, a, a new thought, because we want us to never, ever keep seeing it from different angles, keep remembering, keep thinking back of what our Lord did for us. Because I'm going to tell you, you start getting the redemptive message of what Christ did stripped away, and my friends, we're going to be a bunch of deadheads. We are. We're gonna, there's not going to be anything. We need to rehearse through this regularly. He died. Ask God to make it fresh. You know, I, I, I absolutely love the, the, the times when I'm forced to think through on, on the great fact of that I've been adopted into God's family. When I understand again, and sometimes I, I will tell you the first six months I understood justification, I was overwhelmed. And, and so, can I tell you, sometimes I'm not as thrilled about it as I used to be. 
And I ask God, in, in thinking back and through it, to be, remember what God has done and to think through how Christ has done these things for us. Um, you know, liturgy is sometimes put down and people don't like it. But you know why churches have real formal liturgy? It was developed to fight the tendency to forget. And they're really at the heart of liturgy, there's nothing wrong. It's when you start doing liturgy and forgetting why you're doing it that is so wrong, you see? And we need to be careful there. there I, I've been to a church that many people recently, I, I went to a church in the last year or so just to be there, just to learn myself. I went on a, a Saturday night to a certain church and, and I listened. And I really said, you know, there's a lot of this that means a lot to me as a born-again Christian. A lot of being said is very encouraging. Now, most of the people, it seems, that go to a church like that often think that they have to gain salvation by good works. So sometimes it's not clearly explained. But we, we need to remember this and not doubt God's love and make his grace obscure, but constantly rehearse the redemptive acts, just as David does here. The fourth thing I want you to do and see is that David does this in responding to God. I'll move this up quickly, and I'm just about finished. I want to go quick tonight. But I want you to see that David rehearses and restates God's promises. David rehearses them. Remember in verses 25 through 29, he basically says, look, and he restates all that God has said to him through Nathan's oracle. And notice this. They were made to him personally, and he keeps them very personal. I, I, I just think there is life here. There is great life when you see a believer that rehearses and restates the promises of God on a regular basis. If you want to know a person that is encouraging to be around, a person that loves life and see good days, not only do they keep their tongue from evil, and their lips are speaking guile, but they are reflecting on a regular basis about the promises that God has made to them. And it's something to joy in. And David keeps them very personal. And we have a tendency to think this, God's blessings are out there, we know there, but when you're personally reflecting, do you take time to sit down and to think about God's promises that they've been made to you, and they have been personal. And so, friends, I want to hurry tonight because of all that we have going, but I, I want you to remember something. Some of you, one of these services, I couldn't find this overhead. I found it. I'll just show you in case you didn't see it. Three things I want you to take from this passage. God delights in our worship. He delights in the prayers of the upright. If somebody is self-righteous, it's detestable, even a sacrifice. But, but if somebody that delights in the grace of God and prays and responds back, God, thank you for what you have done. You've ever, if you've ever sang a hymn and you've meant it in your heart to the Lord, I want you to know God delights in that. He also delights when we treat others in a way that resembles how he has treated us. I'm telling you, it just breaks my heart because the blood of Christ, the fellowship of the Son of Jesus Christ is not stronger than the way you vote politically these days. You can only fellowship with people you look the same from. Or you can only vote, fellowship with people that, uh, that have the same outlook of some view of eschatology that you have. Or everybody's got to be exactly the same, and that's the basis of our fellowship. Can I tell you, that is not it. The fellowship comes from being united because we've been sinners saved by a wonderful God full of grace towards people that are dirty, rotten, filthy, and vile. And he's made us righteous and holy in the sight and accepted in the beloved because of Christ. And this is the basis of why we should love each other. And the thing is, can you say, I have drank deep of the grace of God, I rejoiced in his love and in his kindness, and then look down on people and criticize people and be angry with people and hold grudges against people? No, I'm just asking you this. Treat your wife the way God has treated you. Treat your neighbor the way God has treated you. Has he been abundantly kind and merciful and patient? Then you be that way. And the third thing I say is this. We need to regularly meditate on the great redemptive acts and keep them before us. 
you know, it's, there is, it is nice. We save $60,000 we have a horse trough instead of the baptismal. But you know one nice thing? If we ever get into an auditorium and we have a baptismal, everybody walk in and say, what's that? We say, that's a baptismal. Well, what is it? Well, it's where you're showing that you're identified. It's a reminder of the redemptive acts of Christ. And maybe even when we build in, we'll have our own table that actually says, this dude in remembrance of me. <laughs> we'll actually even say that. But I encourage you to think through your justification, your adoption, the great grace of God towards you as a sinful person and, and see if it doesn't change your life greatly. And that concludes today's expository word. Please join us again for more classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Take care.